talk about sex, salt and pepper. Welcome to First Orlando, right? Where we just keep it real. How are y'all doing tonight? Wonderful. Well, hey, I, I'm glad you're here. If this is uh, your first time, I want to introduce myself. My name is Doug Hankins. I'm the young adult pastor uh, at First Orlando. And whether you're in college, whether you're a young adult, whether you're an old adult, whether you're somewhere in between, I'm just so glad you've chosen to, to give us uh, a little bit of your time tonight to gather with us and uh, talk with us as we're in the midst of this series called Love Songs. Uh, and uh, we're talking about love, sex, dating, and marriage. We've already talked about love. We've talked about dating. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage. So that means tonight, we're going to talk about sex, right? Now, uh, if you've never been to church before, you've never been to a gathering, this isn't going to be like graphic. There's no like, uh, there's no drawings. I'm not getting like a middle school guidance counselor to come in with like a balloon and, you know, other objects. There's nothing like that. What we're going to strive to do tonight is talk about uh, sex uh, as a single adult, because most of y'all in here are single adults, but really sex uh, or, or singleness and sexuality. That's where I want us to go today. And to set that up, uh, just to talk about things, I want to talk about this uh, phenomenon that's going on in our culture called the escape room. Any of you guys ever been, participated in an escape room? Okay, we've got some of you in here. Okay, you like that? Um, if you haven't been to an escape room, here's basically what happens. Uh, you take a whole bunch of friends and they lock you in a room and there are clues in there and you're supposed to figure it out uh, within a, an allotted amount of time and escape that room. And you walk in and you think everything is a clue, right? And something's in there, they are clues. But it's not like the clues are saying, I'm a clue, pay attention to me, right? It's like some of the things you think these are clues uh, and they are clues. Some of the things you think are clues, they're not clues, right? Some of the things you look at, you go, these are not clues at all. There's no way these are clues. And they're clues, right? And you have to look at all of these things and figure out how to escape this room together. And I thought that was the perfect metaphor for us to talk about what it feels like often to be a single adult in America today, especially a single adult who's trying to follow Jesus in America today. There are all these different clues we're getting from everybody, from culture, from the church, from the Bible, from our friends, from our parents. And some of them are things we want to listen to and pay attention to. And some of them are like, do we pay attention to this? I don't know. And most of us are just trying to escape this season of life, right? Right? This is like a great metaphor. But with that as a vision, I just want to say this. I'm not sure that is uh, the accurate picture of what Jesus might want for us in our singleness. And so if you're single here today, I just want to encourage you. I think Jesus has so much more uh, for your life. I think he wants to do something in your singleness uh, you've never even possibly imagined or dreamed of. And I think he might even want to radically shift your perspective on singleness here today. And in addition to that, I think what Jesus might want to do is radically shift your understanding of sexuality and the role that it plays in the human life uh, here today. And to set that up, I want to talk about another kind of conundrum, another kind of escape room game uh, that many of you guys may feel. We'll talk about it historically. Um, in the Christian life, we are given kind of these clues, these four big ones uh, that come across our way. Uh, and they kind of go in this order. In the very beginning of life, as you're processing through things, you kind of uh, come to this conclusion that you need to be satisfied, right? You just need satisfaction. And that's the first thing you experience. So for most of us, we start chasing and looking after things going, okay, how do I find the satisfaction? How do I get satisfied? And the Bible comes along or a Christian comes along and tells you the gospel and they tell you uh, what Jesus says, which is 
you can only find satisfaction, true satisfaction, in following Jesus. Because that's the second big clue here uh, that you get. And so for many of us, if you're following Jesus, you're here today because at least two things are true. These are essential things that are fundamentally true. I find satisfaction in Christ alone. Right? I find my hope, my strength, and my joy in Christ alone. And for many of us, we walked with that really in our early years going, hey, I find satisfaction in Jesus. This is really great. At the essential level, it's a very simple, easy way to live. I go to church. I follow Jesus. I read my Bible. Things are great. We're living in Narnia. It can never get better. But then maybe you graduate college or career. You get into your early 20s, maybe your early 30s, and you find yourself with this new reality. And that reality is, uh, do I remain single? right? I'm a single adult. I'm following career. It's really great. No distractions. I'm a single adult. But do I remain single? And especially when this fourth clue comes into play, and that's this. I want to have sex, right? I'm a single adult. I find my satisfaction in Jesus, but I also want to have sex. Now I feel like I'm back in the escape room, right? What do I do? How do I reconcile these four things in the 21st century in America today. And the good news for you, if you're someone who's asking that question, or maybe that's hitting close to home with you today, maybe you've been wrestling with that uh, over the past decade or so, the good news for you is that uh, in the first century, the church in Corinth, a city in modern-day Greece, they were wrestling with these same four things, and the Apostle Paul brings some wise teaching to talk about those things. And so on your bulletin, if you have this, you can open this up or look at it. Maybe you have a Bible or it's on your phone and you want to read it there. But in the ESV, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's a letter Paul's writing to this church. It's the first letter he's writing to this church in Corinth. He says this, to the unmarried, which is to the single. And specifically, he's talking about all the single ladies, right? He says this, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Friends, I want to talk about two phrases here today. That's the phrase single or remain single. And the phrase burn with passion. Because those are the two things, singleness and sexuality. I think most of us in this room, if you're a single adult, you're probably struggling with in addition to this thing uh, if you're trying to follow Jesus, right? So I want to talk about those two things. We'll talk about first in terms of singleness, and then I want to talk about it in terms of the burning with passion. And so let's talk about singleness first. Here are some fun facts I want you guys to uh, uh, keep in mind. Because the Apostle Paul, he says this really radical phrase. He says, listen, if you're unmarried, if you're a single adult, and you come to me, Paul, and you say, Paul, what should I do in my life? Here's the advice I'm going to give you every time. My preference is that you would remain single. You're already single, I think you should keep that going. How much longer, Paul? Forever, right? Just forever. When you die, you just go into heaven single. That's the best way to go, right? So I want you to remain single if you can, right? And there's a reason why Paul has this ideal of singlehood in mind. For Paul, singleness is this very idyllic social position to be in for a variety of functional and metaphysical reasons. But some of the practical ones are here, just some, some facts. Paul knows these things to be true, and I don't know if you've ever considered this. Number one, keep in mind, everyone is born single. Everyone. Everyone is born single. Um, I was talking to one of my friends who's an OBGYN. She's a surgeon. I was talking to her last night at dinner, and I asked her. I said, hey, uh, Dr. T. That's her name. Uh, I said, Dr. T. Uh, 
I got a question for you. And she said, what is it? I said, okay. When you've been delivering babies, right, and you're you know, sitting down and the legs are in the, you know, the little straps up there, stirrups up there, and you're sitting down, you're, you're looking into the canal and the baby's coming out and you have your flashlight because you're trying to make sure it's coming through and you look deep inside and you're looking and checking, have you ever noticed that a baby is wearing a tuxedo? And she said, that's a really weird question. But the answer is no, I've never seen a baby in a tuxedo uh, come, out of the, come out of the womb. And I said, okay, so no baby has ever been born married. And she said, yes, that's true. I was like, okay, well, just, let's just double check here. You've never looked inside as a mom's delivering and saw a baby in like a white dress with a flowing veil and a train that goes out. No baby ever got stuck in the canal on the way out because the veil was kind of caught as they're coming out. She's like, no, never, that's never happened. And I was like, so it stands to reason, no one is ever born married. She said, yes, no baby, to her uh, recollection, no baby has ever been born married. And I think that's something significant. If you haven't figured this out, Everybody is born single, okay? This is not a problem. This has gone on forever. Everyone's born single. Here's the second fact. Number two, all marriages end with the couple returning to singlehood. All marriages. At some point in the marriage, one of the person, if they go the distance, like our friends from last week at the banquet, they go the distance, one of them is going to die before the other one, except like in a notebook type scenario, but I don't know if that's true, but right? But most marriages, one person is going to die before the other one, which means the person who died is now single, and the person who is still alive is now single. And so everyone's born single. Even if you get married, you're going to be single again, right? Singleness is this constant that happens. The third fact is this. Everyone, when they die, no matter what, will be single again. Jesus teaches on this at one point. The disciples are coming to him, and they say, Jesus, um, you know, is there, is there going to be marriage in heaven, right? And Jesus is basically like, no, in the resurrection, there's going to be no one that's married. You're, you're just, that's, there's no marital status. You don't get to heaven, and God's like, here's a contact card. Uh, could you check your marital status? We're doing a survey later. We just want to look at our demographics in heaven. Like, there's no demographic upkeep in heaven, right? Everyone is single in heaven. Even if you've been married, once you get there and you're standing before Jesus, you know, and you're singing holy, 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 you're not like looking around like, okay, well now where's my wife? Oh, she's in Target, the Target section of heaven over here. No, okay, right? No, that's, that's not what happens. There are no marriages happening in heaven. No one's being married or being given in marriage or any of that. Everyone is single before the Lord. Now there's a whole conversation to be had about will we know our relationships and will we remember these things? And I think, yes, we will remember relationships. But the point is no one has this marital status in heaven. Number four, Jesus was single his entire life, and so was Paul, okay? Jesus was single his entire life. Now, every time I talk about this, especially if I'm talking to single adults, I, ju I just want to remind you of something. By this point, single adults, you may have discovered this when you go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. It's like one of the reasons you don't want to go be around your family is because you're inevitably going to get that question. You know what I'm talking about? Like, so who are you dating, Right? It just comes up and you're avoiding it. You're like, oh, I don't want to talk about dating. So what do you think about politics, right? You just, you just start talking about politics. How do you like President Trump? And you just want your older relatives to just get into it so they won't talk about your single life, right? Like you just don't want to talk about it at all. Because inevitably what happens is they're like, hey, listen, I have this friend. And, uh, well, I met him on Facebook, but I think he could be perfect for you. He lives in Alaska, and I know you live in Orlando. 
But if we could just figure out the time difference, we can make this happen, right? And every one of them, when they talk to us, right, when they're, when they're having these conversations, all of our relatives who are very well-meaning, they basically have this assumption that's going on. Singleness is this problem. It's like a disease that's affecting you, right? And the only cure is marriage. So if we can just get you married, you'll get past this whole disease social problem of your life, right? And that's the way we feel. And so I just want to recommend something. Again, after you talk about politics and Trump and some of those things, if you really want to start a problem with your relatives, just say this right here, okay? You just go, hey, you know what? Jesus was single his whole life. Uh, if he were here, would you be trying to set him up with someone? Right? And if they pause, you go, listen. This is if you want to get real bold. You just go, listen here. If singleness was good enough for the God of the universe, it's good enough for me. Then you walk out of that room, right? <laughs> it's really important you walk away at that point, okay? Don't engage much more past that conversation. But say, hey, seriously though, listen, if singleness was good enough for the Lord of the universe who created everything, all of his life, guess what? It's good enough for us, okay? And that leads us to our important application point that we wanna look at here today, it's the first one. And it's this, the default lifestyle of discipleship in the New Testament is singleness. The default lifestyle, the paradigm for the, the life of a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ is a single life. Uh, the, major, the vast majority of people in the New Testament um, are, are probably single adults. And so when we see this statistic today that 60% of Orlando is single, uh, that, that's a normal thing. That's, that's not some kind of radical problem. That's, that's more of a norm, globally speaking, uh, than other things. Singleness is the default lifestyle of discipleship in the New Testament. And so the people who are really kind of weird, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit. Just let me tease a little bit because I'm one of these people. The people who are a little bit weird uh, in the New Testament from a New Testament perspective are the married people, Right? You're like, why would you leave this perfect, ideal posture of discipleship to get married to another human being who's fallen and flawed, right? This is what, what it, it kind of seems like. So I don't fully want to go over there onto that side because obviously I'm married. But I, I want to just maybe help us take one collective shift today. And that is singleness is not a problem that gets solved by marriage. Singleness is this unique default posture of discipleship that Jesus practiced, that Paul practiced. Therefore, the vast majority of the New Testament perspective on Christianity is written by single people, right? So single people, can we band together? Like, can we just, can we just do this thing? This is discipleship. Wakanda forever, right? I just want to <laughs> make sure I say that. Okay. Here's why. Singleness. This is, this is the subpoint. Singleness. The reason's the default lifestyle. One reason is that singleness can be a single-minded pursuit. Singleness often means single-minded. It's a single-minded pursuit. So it's distraction-free. And I'll give you an example of this. For Paul, he much later says this. Hey, listen, I, I wish everybody would be single because the married person has a divided mind, but a single person can focus completely on Jesus and on his kingdom and on the ministry of the local church. Uh, single people are more likely to be involved in charitable activities and social justice and some of these things that are important. And so uh, this is something, this is one of the reasons why Paul recommends this. And, and just so you guys understand this, I'll just kind of give you like a silly example than a kind of a more serious example. I want you to imagine, many of you know this, you're a single adults Friday night. 
It's 5 p.m., you're at home, the house, the apartment, wherever you live. You look in your bank account, you have money in there. You uh, get on DaveRamsey.com and you're like, Dave, do I have money for this? And Dave says, you have money for this. Go and spend wisely. And you're like, okay. So you got money and you got time. And here's the whole question you're asking as a single adult. What do I want to do? That's it. That's the whole decision-making process. And so you think about it. You're like, well, man, I could go to this restaurant. I could go see this movie. I could go to Disney. I could go to Universal, SeaWorld, Fun Spot. Uh, I could just go to any one of the outdoor concerts that's, concerts that's taken place. I could you know, drive to UCF. There's a sporting event. I could drive uh, to the, one of the beaches. I could just sit in my home, play video games. I, and so you take all those things. You put it on a whiteboard. You prioritize it. And you're like, okay, what am I going to do? You give everything a number. You pull out the magic eight ball. You shake it. It comes up and it tells you. And you're like, okay, that's what I want to do. And this is your whole decision-making process. I got money. I got time. What do I want to do? I'm going to do that. That's your whole life as a single adult. You gotta understand, if God calls you into marriage, that paradigm changes, okay? And again, we're gonna talk about marriage next week. But this paradigm changes because now there are two people that have to make a decision. And so when you're a married person and it's Friday night at 5 p.m. and you're thinking, what do I wanna do tonight? You now have a new process you go through. You walk to your significant other and you say, honey, what, what would you like to do? And really, this isn't so much you trying to gather data. It's you trying to start the conversation, hoping you can negotiate it to what you want to do, right? Let's just be real honest. That's how that works. And so you go, honey, what do you want to do? And they say, oh, I, want to, I don't know. What do you want to do? And you're like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And they say, I don't know. What do you want to do? This goes on for an hour. It's now six o'clock, right? And one of you is worn down like, oh, okay, let's come up, come up with some ideas. So now both of you are populating this whiteboard. You're prioritizing it. But you've got to work together. You now have to not only ask God in your bank account, but you now have to ask a spouse what you can do for the evening. And men, let me just tell you, your, your wife always wins, right? Women, you have the upper hand, right? Just know y'all are beautiful. And so all you have to do is you're like, oh, I guess we could go see that new action movie, Bat the Eyes. Or we could go to Home Depot and look at plants. And you know what you guys are doing? You're going to Home Depot and looking at plants because that's how it works. So I just want to tell you, at that point, you're distracted. It's no longer, what do I want to do, God? What do I want to do? It's, God, what do, what do we got to do? I got to ask, honey, per, for permission. Now, let me just jump ahead. You have kids, either through birth or through adoption, through foster care, whatever. You got kids in the house. And the bottom line is, it's Friday. It's 5 o'clock. You look in your bank account. You get on DaveRamsey.com. I have money. You look at your spouse, you're like, honey, what do you want to do? And your spouse goes, I don't know. Let's see what the kids want to do. And you go, okay. And so now the three or four or five of you are populating the whiteboard and you're prioritizing. And let me just go ahead and save you uh, the mystery and the tension here. Here's what actually plays out. The kid who yells the loudest, that's what you do, right? <laughs> because you're just like, you know what? I don't think that's the best thing. And then this kid starts to have like a little temper tantrum and you try to negotiate. The other kid tries to help because that's the role they've taken on. And you're looking, I don't know what happened, right? You, okay, that's cool. So we're watching Cars 3 and we're eating popcorn. That's what we're going to do again tonight, right? <laughs> Here's the point. By the point that you're married and you have kids, you're no longer just saying, God, what do you want me to do? You're saying, God, what do you want me to do? And honey, what do you want to do? And kids, what do you want to do? And I've got to be a good steward of all of those relationships. Well, now let's say you take something silly like what are we going to do on Friday night and you replace it with doing charitable work. I want to go serve disadvantaged kids in our city. I want to go feed the homeless. Uh, I want to go do beach reach. I want to go on a mission trip. I want to go to a country that needs the gospel and preach the gospel, right? When you're single, you go, hey, 
Jesus, I feel like you're calling me to do this charitable work. And Jesus says, go do it. And you go, okay. And you go do it, right? That's the whole conversation. It takes you about five minutes, right? Ten if you're really charismatic in your prayer life. But that's a five minutes if you're like Baptist. Presbyterian, one minute, right? Which is really more of a cursory thing. I'm kidding, Presbyterian friends. Be cool. You're reformed. You know what I'm talking about. Um, so then when you get married... Now you're asking God about this charitable work and your spouse. I want to go to the hardest country on the planet and proclaim the gospel. Honey, what do you think? So we're going to Canada to proclaim the gospel, right? Okay, we're building a shelter in Canada. Got it. Okay, here we go, right? Because you now have to talk to two people. you got kids. You're like, I want to go to the hardest place in the world, and I want to preach the gospel. I have kids. We're going to do VBS this year, and... And that's going to be the end of our budget. And now, listen, I'm not saying that, like, having kids and wife is a drag on things. I'm using that humorously to try to prove this point. Once you add more people into that decision-making process, you're, you're a little bit divided and distract, distracted. And here's what Paul's saying. I, my prayer is for you. My hope, my recommendation is for you to remain single because once you get married, once kids enter the picture, you're divided. And there's this whole season of trying to launch your kids like arrows to go be disciple makers in their own school, in their own lives. And that takes all of your priority. So that, that whole life of going on mission trips and just running with the wind and running with the night, that has to go away for a season so you can raise those kids so you can love your spouse. And then when they go off, then maybe you and your spouse can go do things. You have disposable income, those kind of things. It puts all of that stuff uh, on the back burner for a little bit. So Paul says, for all these things, the, the, the privileged vision of the New Testament is the single life. It's, it's the thing that Jesus thought uh, was good enough for him and Paul thought was good enough for him. So I just want you to make, I want to encourage you to make that shift here today with that first word. The second word is this, burning with passion. <coughs> and Paul says, basically, listen, my preference is for you all to remain single, but there's a condition. There's an asterisk. There's an audible, and it's this. If you can't exercise self-control in the loin region, if you're just burning with passion, uh, there's a guy named Ray Romano who has a TV show called Everybody Loves Raymond from a long time ago, and uh, he has this one key moment he has in one scene where his wife comes up and gives him a hug, and they're in a family gathering. She comes up and gives him a front hug and lingers a little bit, and she goes, I love you, and she starts to walk off back to the family, and he goes, Oh, Deborah. She goes, what? He goes, you've activated the launch sequence, right? And this is the phrase. He's trying to say he's burning with passion. This is what Paul's talking about here. If, if you find yourself as a single adult, you're just burning with passion. Like you're just like, I want to have babies, right? Either I want to make babies with somebody or I want to carry babies in my womb. Whatever's going on. Like, when you find yourself there, it's time to start having a new conversation. <clears throat> and here's the conversation. It's a conversation about leaving singleness to a radically new time of life. And uh, around here, we kind of talk about this, uh, this kind of shift uh, in this way. I'll move this stand. And it's, uh, it's the way we talk about community. So I'll just kind of give you a, a brief overview of this. Uh, so around here, we believe all community begins on the couch. Uh, for us, that's life groups, Right? And if you're not in a life group, uh, you can turn your bulletin over. You can see all, all the list of our life groups. But uh, community begins on the couch, right? Because you have to negotiate it. You sit on a couch. Other people sit there. You're no longer an individual. You're now in community. It's the beginning point of community. So you're sitting on this couch. You know, again, you may, 
you're right-handed, you try to get to the far right so you have the little arm there. You know what I'm talking about? So that if you have a coffee, you can set it down. If you get in the middle, you're like in the middle of an airplane, and if you have your coffee, you just have to hold it in your hand. It's super awkward, right? If you're right-handed and you're this side, you're like, ugh, ugh, and you have to set it down right there. So right-handed people like to get on the right side of the couch. You negotiate sitting down. You know, your friendships, you're starting in that, that phase of community. This is a life group. This is a, a group on Sunday or groups in the home. You're getting in the home. You're in a living room. You're in a circle. You're talking to people. You're engaging. You're moving from being an individual to being someone who's part of the community. But if that's not enough, if you need a little more, you step from the couch to the table, right? Now you're in the kitchen. There's some better food involved. There might even be coffee and dessert, right? You're at the table. There's maybe one to two to three of you guys or three of you girls. This is what we call discipleship groups. At the table, it's where everything starts to get a little bit real. There's no more like, oh, my week was good. It's why was your week good? Or you're like, oh, my week was not very good. Well, why wasn't good? Like, what's going on in your world? Do we need to go talk to somebody, right? People are now involved in your life. You're at the table. You're in deeper discipleship, deeper fellowship. And that's cool. But the next layer from that is what some of you end up doing, especially as you get into your mid to late 20s, maybe early 20s if you discover Orlando real estate. And that's where you move from the table to the bunk beds, right? You're now living in a home together, right? You're, you're sharing an apartment. You've got roommates. Y'all are all in close quarters. What you could hide on the couch, you can't hide in the bunk beds, right? If you, uh, if you had a whole bunch of kale for breakfast, right, because you're trying to be super healthy, and then you got a little, you know, stuff going on, right? When you're in life group over here on the couch, you're like, excuse me, I need to run to the restroom. Uh, I'm just checking my makeup. I'm definitely not doing anything in the restroom other than checking my makeup, right? So you get up and you go to the restroom and you come back two or three times and you think you're fooling people. You're like, they have no idea I drank kale for breakfast in my smoothie. Like, right? Because you're on the couch and that's that level. At the table, if you keep doing that, they're going to ask you, why are you going to the restroom? Did you drink kale in your smoothie for breakfast? And you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's totally me. Sorry about that. If you're in the bunk beds, right? Everyone knows. You don't have to talk about it. That's just how that works, right? And I'm not trying to be gross. I'm just trying to tell you, once you get to the bunk beds, you're in pretty deep community. But there's a layer beyond that. And that is, you're in the bunk beds with some friends, some, you're a, a female living with females, you're a male living with males, and you're like, you know what, as much as I love y'all, I really want someone of the opposite gender to be in a deep discipleship relationship with, where I can also do something about this burning with passion situation, right? And that's when you move from the bunk beds to the queen size bed, right? It's, that's radical discipleship community. And Paul is saying this, the only reason anybody would ever leave the single life would be to move into this deep layer of discipleship called marriage. That's the reason you would do this. And what's interesting about uh, all of this is that it's this application point that's come up here. For Paul, Paul sees this shift from um, singleness into sexuality. Uh, he sees this as something that's a distraction from our satisfaction in Jesus. That's why he says, I, I wish you would remain single. Because he knows as soon as you move into this world of being sexual uh, with a wife, with a husband, you're moving into a distracted, divided, scattered life. Okay? But the only reason you would do this, the only permission he gives us is because we're burning with passion. He says, listen, if I have to choose between you sinning and you being distracted, I'm going to choose you being distracted. Okay? 
So this is the view of marriage for Paul. It's a distracted life where you're not burning with passion. This is a really charming sales pitch for marriage, right? Can you hear Paul doing a marriage seminar? Hi, singles. Uh, if you'd like to be distracted and not sin, well, go ahead and get married. But, right, this is his whole thing. Now, what's really interesting about this is uh, the, se- the third application point uh, here. That reconciling the distraction requires a trade-off. Reconciling this distraction requires uh, a trade-off. And so again, be very clear. I'm single. I'm following Jesus. I'm burning with passion. Paul says, okay, find, you're a guy, find a girl. Your girl, find a guy. Get married. Okay, so now you may be a little bit distracted and divided for a season. Understand that. But you're not going to sin. You're not going to burn with passion. But once you get here, you got to understand you are now making an intentional trade-off in the four quadrants of the things I mentioned earlier. So let's just throw these back on the screen. Remember, here are the four things. Uh, You can feel satisfied and find the answer in following Jesus. You can remain single or you can have sex, right? And the rule of thumb here that Paul is saying, just to put this in summary, is you can pick three out of the four. As someone who's here in this room, uh, what's, gonna, what's ultimately going to work, what's ultimately going to ease the tension is for you to pick three out of four. You can pick any three out of four you want, and that'll work. But you can't have all four. Because of the fall, because of the tension of our life, we can't have all four. And so, really, the choice before most of us here today is to figure out which three are we comfortable picking uh, and which one are we comfortable leaving out? And I'll just go through uh, all the possible scenarios here. This is going to be like uh, March Madness. I'm going to tell you like who gets in and who gets out. Like, okay, well, scenario one is. And so here we go. Um, now, let me also just say this. On the bottom, on the bottom of this quadrant are the essential things. These are the things Paul says that are essential. We're all deeply longing for satisfaction, and you can only find that in following Jesus. That doesn't bother most of us. What throws us off again is when we get to some of those extra things, right? We find ourselves single and we want to have sex and now we're confused. And we go, how do we reconcile all of these four things? I don't know. Well, let me, let me just kind of go ahead and tell you. Uh, one option is this. Let's, let's start with the two ones that I, I would not recommend for you here today. These are the ones that culture broadly would I think recommend. And not that I'm poo-pooing culture here today, but let's just be honest. Our culture around us, although beautiful, has some fallen attributes to it. And some of the things culture recommends us are not necessarily the best things. Can I just admit this up front? Uh, And so here's some of the things I think are maybe not as helpful. Number one, let's say you just cross out follow Jesus, okay? Let's go, here's what I want. Uh, I want to remain single. I want to have sex and I want to feel satisfied. I'm going to use satisfied in air quotes, okay? This is an option, okay? And this would be what we would call the non-Christian option. Uh, Most of us or most of our friends who are not Christians, this is the way they would operate, right? I'm single, I want to have sex, and I'm going to try to find satisfaction in sex, right? And most of our friends, this is what we do, or this is what our friends do. Uh, And the the great person you can think of here is uh, Mick Jagger. Uh, Mick Jagger is the lead singer of a band called the Rolling Stones, and he wrote his most famous song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, But I Try, Right? But I try and I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. And Mick is being honest. Mick uh, participated in drugs and sex and rock and roll in the 60s when it was really, really cool to participate in drugs and sex and rock and roll, right? And in the midst of the 60s, he wrote this song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. What's Mick saying? He's saying, I can remain single and have sex and try to feel satisfied, but guess what? Because I'm throwing away something from that essential layer at the bottom, I'm not going to find satisfaction. 
Because Paul's right. You can only find satisfaction in Jesus. Okay, the other option I probably wouldn't recommend because I don't think it's ultimately helpful is this. You just say, well, then I'm not going to try to really pursue feeling satisfied in this world. Okay, I want to remain single and I want to have sex and I want to follow Jesus. And I recognize that in doing this, I'm ultimately not going to be satisfied. I may have seasons where it's really fun and I think I'm getting away with something. And right, you have friends maybe who have pursued this for a season or maybe you're here today and you want to testify you've been doing this for a while or you've had seasons where you do this, right? And again, people ask me this question all the time. They're like, Doug, can, can I be single and have sex and still follow Jesus? And I go, yeah. I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah. Like, oh, this is awesome. Like, this is amazing. Like, I like you more than the Pope. This is incredible. Can I, whatever religion you are, can I follow you? Uh, and I, I will say the same thing all the time because the author of Hebrews writes this in uh, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, if you ever read that book later. Uh, he says, um, basically he's talking about Moses. He said, uh, Moses decided to follow God instead of following uh, the lingering pleasure of, sex, of uh, sin. In other words, sin is really fun for a short time. Doing the wrong thing is real, can be really, really fun for a short time. And that's what this model is. I'm single, I'm having sex, I'm following Jesus. This can be incredibly fun for a short time. But after a while, you start to realize, I violated something on the essential layer. I'm not, I'm not finding my satisfaction in Jesus. And so that's, not, that's unsustainable. And it's not going to work. And maybe you're someone who's here today and you've experienced this, right? You have fun for a little while and the boyfriend breaks up or the girlfriend breaks up or the Tinder thing doesn't work out or the hookup scene doesn't do what it, you thought it would do and eventually you're just like, Ugh, I feel gross and alone and isolated. And you wonder, is there anybody out there who's gonna love me and make room on the couch? And then you come to First Orlando or to a church in town and you see that Christians are gonna make room on the couch for you and you go, oh wow, they embrace me and they love me despite my past, despite all the places and the times I've messed up. And you follow Jesus and you live as a single person and you find your satisfaction him and you kind of abstain from sex and then that guy calls late at night and you're like well right and you linger back in and now you're choosing this path again and it's fun for a little bit and after a while it falls apart and then you find yourself alone and isolated and you're wondering if anybody will ever love you again and you show back up at church and you get plugged into community and it's just this vicious cycle over and over and over again again I want to be very clear this is an incredibly fun uh, approach. It can be an incredibly fun approach. I want to be real honest about that, but it's not sustainable. So those are the two options I wouldn't recommend. Option three is this, and these are the two that Paul are recommending here. Uh, option three is you just don't have sex, right? That's it. You remain single, and you feel satisfied in following Jesus, and this is the path of singleness. Uh, at different points, this is uh, called uh, the path of celibacy, right? You're someone who just says, for the remainder of my life, I'm going to abstain from sex and I'm going to follow Jesus. And there are people who can do this. Uh, and some of them become missionaries. Some of them just go to First Orlando and work in town and that's just going to be their pathway. I was talking with one of our young adults a few weeks ago and this young adult just said to me, I said, so I, I was trying not to have the conversation. You know how that is like when you're hanging out with your single friends and you don't want to have that conversation because you don't want to be your grandma at Christmas, but you're still curious, so it just comes out anyway. It's almost like asking a lady if she's pregnant, even though you're not sure, and about halfway through, you're like, oh, this could go really poorly, right? So I was having that conversation. I was like, okay, so do you want to get married? Oh, no, I'm sorry I asked that question. I, I, I'm just curious about your intentions. Like, and she, you know, this person was like, oh, no, it's okay. Um, 
And this is what she said to me. She said, I, I don't know that I ever want to get married because I don't know that I ever have to get married. I'm pretty satisfied with my life. And Doug from like 2002 would have been like, listen, you're missing out. Marriage is wonderful and you should approach that, uh, pr- uh, approach that as quickly as you can because that's what Jesus commanded. And I would have been uh, terribly wrong in that situation. Uh, Doug from 2000, was 18, 2018? Yeah, Doug from 2018 would understand this. Hey, Paul said it's better for people to remain single, right? Um, because you're not divided and you can follow Jesus with just a sharp focus uh, and authority. The other pathway here is this one. You cross off remaining single. You can have sex. If you're burning with passion, you can have sex, you can follow Jesus, and you can feel satisfied. And this is called marriage. Marriage is when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and he's alone going to satisfy me, and I'm going to engage in sex and sexuality. Okay? And this is called marriage. It's the option two that Paul recommends. Now, Having said that, I think there are a, a couple more, at least one more application point I want to end on here. I'm going to end and say this, and then the band's going to come back up and we're going to respond. I want to be very clear on this. I want to make sure you guys don't mishear what I'm saying today. Uh, and it's critical. And it's this point. It's maybe the most important point uh, that we've talked about. And it's this. Remember that marriage doesn't add satisfaction to your life. It only eliminates distraction. Marriage does not add satisfaction. It eliminates distraction. When Paul teaches on marriage, and I don't want to go too far on this because that's next week. When Paul teaches on marriage, he doesn't say marriage is what's going to satisfy you. And I, I want to apologize because I think the church for far too long has told us from the time we're in uh, you know, vacation Bible school to now that if you're unsatisfied in this life, the solution is to get married. And it sends us on this quest that our culture is telling us, this, this idolatry of marriage that says, if you find that right person, then your life will be perfect and all your dreams will come true. I'm a married person. I love my wife. I love my kids. Let me tell you, that's absolute, uh, absolutely false. It's a lie. Marriage is never going to satisfy you. It's just not. Jesus alone is going to satisfy you. In Christ alone will you find your satisfaction. Marriage doesn't satisfy you. Marriage can remove some of the distraction, can, it can lessen some of the distraction of sinfulness in your life as you pursue Jesus, right? And we're going to talk more about that next week. So if you're someone who's here today and you say, Doug, I, I, I like singleness, but I'm curious about marriage, or I've got people and they're curious about marriage, I want to know more about that. I want to invite you to think about coming next week as we pick up on this idea uh, of marriage. But for right now, I want to invite you, if you're able to stand, we're going to sing one more song together. And here's how I want to facilitate this time. Um, I think there are many of you who are here today and you're single and you're processing through things or maybe you've been kind of pursuing sexuality and maybe the wrong places and maybe you feel like you're someone who's trapped in that escape room and you don't know how to get out and your life is an escape room. And maybe you just need some prayer today. And so our staff, myself, Britt, uh, our Disney director and some of uh, Isaac or uh, David, Alec will be down front. Um, there'll be some girls here to pray with girls, some guys to pray with guys. Listen, if at any point in this song, if you want to get up and move around and come just pray about anything going on in your life, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Uh, so can we just be cool if we see people moving? Again, it's not because they had kale smoothies for breakfast. Let's not have no judgment. 
It's not because there's anything terrible going on in their life. We're not gonna make any judgment, right? We're gonna be cool here. These are brothers and sisters who may have some real prayer needs and we wanna pray for them and, and proclaim the goodness and the soul sufficiency of Jesus. And so we're gonna do that. We're gonna be down front. Again, guys with guys, girls with girls. Um, if, however, you don't have a prayer need, maybe you wanna process where you are, I wanna invite you to do that. If you wanna sing, I wanna invite you just to sing where you are. Tech team is gonna lower the lights a little bit, give, uh, give us a little bit of a private space here. However you need to respond during this time, I wanna invite you to respond and I'll come back up afterwards uh, and lead us out. 